are listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio. Only here, lastwordonsports.com. What's up, Internet? My name is Matt Pollard, and you are listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio, only here at lastwordonsports.com. It is Tuesday, July 11th, 2023. We're recording right about 24 hours before the kickoff of the two Gold Cup semifinals that we have tomorrow. United States taking on Panama and then another big grudge match here going on in the other semifinal between Mexico and Jamaica. It's been a busy day and a busy week in soccer. It was an absolutely chaotic Sunday for me, at least personally. And here to talk about all the things, including finally professional women's soccer coming to Denver, Rachel Krigger. Rachel, hello, friend. Hola, amigo. I am very excited about the Denver news today. Um, I can't wait to talk about that. Oh, my gosh. So much fun. Oh, I hope it happens. Fingers crossed. All the candles at church lit. Um, but yeah, I'm happy to happy to be here talking all the soccer with you. I can't believe today's only Tuesday, Matt. <laughs> I know it's been it's been a crazy week. It's been a crazy weekend. I'm ready for the Gold Cup to end, to be honest, Rachel. Um, yeah, and obviously, I feel that. Um, at least from a last word perspective, I think our rhythm for the Women's World Cup is going to be a little bit different in a good way, given the, uh, you know, a lot of the kickoff times are not going to be in prime time for us in any of the North Continental U.S. time zones. So um, I'm looking forward to that. And I just I need some stability. And um, I don't know about you, Rachel, but it's just it's going to be so weird for me because we know the Rapids aren't getting out of the group for the League's Cup of having like two to three weeks of the Rapids not playing any games and being able to have like almost a, a summer siesta to do a bunch of things where normally, you know, my Saturday evenings are spoken for and that can, you know, depict maybe what I'm doing on a Saturday versus on a Sunday, having the entire weekend potentially open big, big deal. So let's get to it, Rachel. I don't believe we've recorded since the U.S. Uh, Gold Cup group stage ended, but I don't know about you, Rachel. I was feeling super hyped after their two 6-0 wins, and I was under the impression that what was going on there was they had a bad start against Jamaica, and they figured things out against Jamaica, and then they addressed them, and things went back straight into chaos with the game against Canada. So let's talk about that, listeners. Um, this past Sunday in the final quarterfinal that you had of the 2023 CONCACAF Gold Cup. The United States played Canada to a 2-2 draw, 1-1 through 90, 2-2 through 120 minutes, and Matt Turner coming up big to help the U.S. defeat Canada in penalties 3-2. Rachel, this game was crazy and weird and boring all in one big mess. You had in the opening minute, you had a referee take a ball off the face and had a bloody nose and was slow, and there was eight minutes of stoppage time as the referee, as the linesman needed uh, medical attention was actually subbed out. I didn't know you could sub a referee, Rachel. I didn't know that was a thing that needed to exist, but I'm glad that it did exist. Uh, the U.S. was lackluster against a low block. Um, John Herdman does what he does against the United States. And even when he is at a talent deficit or where the situation is not to his advantage, they are capable of being extremely effective against this U.S. team, especially without all of their big scars. That stars, that was kind of frustrating. 
if you watch the YouTube highlights, Rachel, we started off with a kickoff. You had the referee take a ball to the face, and then we skipped to, like, the 70th minute. That's how exciting the first half and then, like, the first 20 minutes of the second half were, dear listeners. And then you had a bunch of crazy flurry of goals. Let me let me get the whole list out here, Rachel, for you. First of all, you had Brandon Vasquez in the 88th coming off the bench and being the super sub savior that the U.S. has been. Third minute of stoppage time, you had uh, Vittoria. Uh, with the penalty after the second real scare that you had for Miles Robinson getting a handball in the box. This one was actually called. Both of them went to VAR. I kind of thought both of them were pretty close to being a handball, Rachel. But in any case, so then we go to extra time. Um, and then you had Jakob Sack, uh, Schaffelberg coming off the bench and just being absolutely electric like he is for Nashville. He scores in the 109th. And then John Luca Busio getting a shot that is saved by Dane St. Clair. And then fortuitously goes off of Scott Kennedy to turn into an own goal. And then Matt Turner did what Matt Turner does in penalties, as you would expect. Um, Rachel, where, where do you want to start? And how much of this maybe completely did a 180 for you with how you were feeling about this team out of the group stage? Um, I think first and foremost, uh, there needs to be so much. I mean, there's a lot of praise given to Matt Turner, but I think like just keeping it on, right? Like 14 out of 29 penalties saved um, in his career is a pretty darn good number. It's it's quite unheard of, to be honest with you. Um, and, and, you know, he obviously was super emotional after the game wearing the shirt for uh, Malia um the the cancer patient that he grew close to who passed away um so it was just like a really great performance from him and you know I always think back watching these gold cup matches about how he asked um BJ Calligan and and U.S. soccer like I want to be part of um CONCACAF Nations League and I want to be part of the gold cup too like he is so dedicated to this team and it's really really great to see um yeah I mean it, it was cool to see Brandon Vasquez um Score in Cincinnati, obviously. Him and Matt Miazga got quite a roar whenever they came on as subs. I, I think you need to be starting him. Like, I understand the effect of, like, bringing him on and bringing on a spark and everything. But just with the way that he's playing, I would start him over Jesus Ferreira. And I know there's a lot of people saying, like, oh, well, Jesus Ferreira, he got the, you know, he got the the hat trick and stuff. But there needs to be some context in there about um you know, getting it against Trinidad and Tobago and what he got one against St. Kitts too, I think. Um, and I, I just, and that's no hate on Jesus for, I just think like with the form um, that, that Brandon Vasquez has been playing in, I think he deserves at least to start in the, in the semifinal. But at the same time, I understand why he's brought on as like the super sub, if you will. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, the defense was, it, it was okay. I mean, the midfield was pretty poor. I was pretty bored watching the midfield. Um, I think it most of this game was just like, okay, kick ball downfield, see who can run and get it first. And it was just that back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And honestly, it, it wasn't until like halftime when the players were like pushing and shoving and going into the tunnel and yapping and pushing and shoving that like things started to pick up and things started to get interesting. And I think that showed um, in the second half. Yeah, Canada, I wasn't like super impressed by them either. I don't think anybody really stood out, um, except for Matt Turner during penalties, but Matt Turner's gonna do, like you said, Matt, what Matt Turner does. Um, I just think it was like a pretty lackluster game. And I don't know. I mean, if I'm, if I'm Panama after, you know, granted again, context, they beat Cutter. Um, 
if I'm Panama, I'm going into this game, the semifinal game, thinking that I can beat the U.S. Because the U.S., like, yeah, we, we've talked before about, like, B, C team, whatever you want to call it. But I don't think besides Vasquez and Turner, there has been somebody who has really, like, stood out this tournament for me. And I think Canada, the Canada game just really needed somebody to, you know, stand out. I think to your point, Rachel, I think the I think this is a real sobering, you know, reality check for us, given, you know, I was feeling pretty hyped after, you know, the combined 12 to nil aggregate they had against the final two island nations that they ended up playing in the group stage and then get out of the group on goal difference to top the group against Jamaica. I, I think you're allowed one of these bad performances where things don't go particularly well and the matchup is fortuitous for you. And if there are any two teams, if there are I'll say if there's any three teams in this competition that talent wise could match up to the United States or where the other team is playing at their best to the disadvantages of the United States and the U.S. is not at their best. Canada, Mexico, Jamaica. uh, We can have a debate about that order if you want there. Rachel, I did not list those in order, but like we've seen this like John Herdman makes the United States uncomfortable in ways that I'm not sure any of the other nations in a game in the United States ends up is capable of doing. So I think we need to give John Herdman some credit. But just to your point, Rachel, about how this game needed someone on a higher level, almost an adult to like wrangle it in and get it under control. Like this is the kind of game where if you put like 2014 Michael Bradley in the midfield instead of James Sands. He's like, okay, children, like, stop doing this. No more messing around and everything. Here's what we're doing. This is a game that, you know, 2010 uh, Clint Dempsey would have absolutely thrived in, for example. Certainly, a, you know, a Christian Pulisic, a Tim Wea, a Gio Reyna would have massively improved on this. Tyler Adams, even any one of those players is in for the United States, either from the time capsule or from the modern era and everything. I think we're having a very different conversation. I don't think Tim Ream or Walker Zimmerman allow any of the shenanigans that happen out of the back. But to that point, Rachel, what is that proving to me? That's proving there's nobody really here that has impressed me enough that says you are comfortably on the outside looking in in terms of the 2026 World Cup roster spot. And this Gold Cup, you have played your way into that conversation. There's pros and cons behind uh, Jesus Ferreira. I, I won't go through a lot of them as well. I think the arguments, uh, ultimately the jury's out, both from an MLS context and a national team context, that he does very well when there's good stuff set up around him and they're playing against a weak team. He can start when, when the United States plays in the group stage of Copa America in a couple of years and we play the weakest opponent we have of our three group stage opponents. You can play Jesus Ferreira and he'll probably get a bunch of opportunities and he'll probably score. I want to give Brandon Vasquez, to your point, Rachel, some credit because he has done a lot with a little over the course of his time with the national team. And I think if Vasquez was having the season he had in 2022, a year or two earlier, I think he very easily plays his way onto the U.S. World Cup roster squad this past summer. I think some of why he's gotten less of an opportunity is because he hasn't been there as long and maybe doesn't have the same track record as other players, MLS or otherwise. But I mean, I just I go down the rest of the roster, Rachel, like Matt Miazga ain't in. Aaron Long in the matter of one calendar year has played himself from, okay, well, Miles Robinson is hurt. So I guess Aaron Long's the start at the World Cup to like, dude, I'm not sure if you're one of the top five center backs that we have in the conversation, even though you're playing for LAFC. Um, Jalen Neal's a young kid. I'm not going to totally go after him as well. James Sands doesn't really do 
a whole lot for me. He's not better than Kellen Acosta. He's not better than Jackson Ewell. I've liked what I've seen from Gianluca Busio, but that's a position where we have just stacked strength on strength on strength to where, I mean, is he in a 35-man roster? If it's a 30-man roster for the World Cup in 2026, could he make it? Yeah. Uh, Zendejas, absolute disappointment. For me, um, Corona, the other one who went down with a hamstring and then was replaced by Jackson Yule, he was kind of the other one. But everything else that we have, Rachel, is either a known quantity for me and they haven't gotten any better. And then if anybody's stock is up, it's slight. And it's like, okay, let's invite them into a camp. But they're very much on the outside looking. And this is not a situation where Sam Vines in the 2021 Gold Cup absolutely balls out after having a great first half of the season with the Rapids. And then in the midst of that Gold Cup, plays his way into a transfer to Europe to a really good team in Royal Antwerp. I don't know that anybody's improved their stock significantly to get a better situation for their club team. I don't know that anybody's improved significantly in terms of in terms of getting a better opportunity with the national team. You know, Jordi Mihailovic is playing regularly and at least having a little bit more joy than he had at PSV. So I think he's into a better situation at PSV. I don't feel differently about him. If anything, I'm disappointed with what he did against Jamaica and what he did against Canada. Um, maybe the one that's kind of been impressive that I was pleasantly surprised by has been Dewan Jones. Um, Rachel, I've kind of given my thumbs up, thumbs down on a bunch of players. Anybody I'm missing? No, I, th- I think you pretty much covered it. I just, yeah, I mean, I, I can't, I can't stress enough how definitely a disappointment Zendejas has been. I expected a lot more from him. Um, I'm also just a big Liga MX fan. So, um, I, I expect a lot from, from people who play in such like a physical, um, good league. So yeah, I don't think you missed anybody. I think your assessments are all fair and, and I'm in total agreement. Let's touch on the other group stage, excuse me, the group stage. Let's touch on the other knockout games that we had here, Rachel. First of all, I'd say a typical like CONCACAFI bar fight a la, you know, um, Moss Eisley with Jamaica beating Guatemala and then Panama absolutely smashing Qatar four to nil. And they scored all four of their goals by the 60th minute, including Ishmael Diaz, who scored on them. Um, I guess, Rachel, we're glad once again that Qatar is proving that they are not a very good, um, they're not a very good, um, uh, uh, competition tournament team. And certainly given how we feel about that country politically and the way they handle the World Cup and everything, anything you want to say about those two games or would you like to start pouring one out for the Ticos? Oh, I guess I'll rush into my sad spiel about the Ticos. The, the men's and women's national team, man, they're disappointing me so much. Ugh, Amelia Valverde, I will never forgive you for that Women's World Cup roster. But we are talking about the Gold Cup right now. You asked me the last time we talked if I thought the Ticos were going to make it out of the group. And I said no um, after a couple string of just poor performances against um, pretty much their CONCACAF rival, Panama, um, and then El Salvador. Um, they won not in a very convincing fashion <laughs> against six, against Martinique six to four. Um, I was happy that, um, friend of mine, Juan Pablo Vargas scored again for the national team. Woohoo. Um, but giving up four goals to Martinique is a little bit rough, especially since there was a big chip on the Tico's shoulder. Um, since Martinique had beat them, um, I think it was in Nations League. Um, so there should have been, there was a point, I think it was like, five to one maybe or like five to two and like that's it like two goals but no it was just like every time the Tico scored you looked away for one second and boom Martinique scored again but yeah Tico's made it in by the skin of their teeth and they played Mexico um 
I mean, I don't know if it was just, you know, jitters playing against Mexico or, or whatever it was. Excuse me, but the, but the defense was just poor. Um, there, there was a chance to equalize, uh, I think around like the 65th minute. Um, and, and they missed it, giving up a penalty in the 52nd minute. Um, obviously not great and, and scored on. Um, but then there was a chance to equalize. It didn't go in. And then in the 87th minute, this team has been so, um, victim to giving up these like late goals in the 87th minute. Pretty much all hopes for any sort of comeback was washed away. Um, I think it was, uh, who, who was that scored Sanchez, um, Eric Sanchez with the goal. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know what the answer is for the Ticos. I would be really, really surprised if, um, Luis Fernando Suarez was still, uh, the head coach of this team in a couple weeks. I don't know if they're giving him like, the Jurgen Klinsmann treatment where Klinsmann messed up the first two games of qualifying and then he was sacked. Uh, I know face palm, but um, yeah, I, I would just say like, you know, clearly it is broken. So it's time to fix what is broken. So the Tico's obviously going through a massive, massive, just dry spell. And honestly, like, yeah, they won against Martinique, but it wasn't, like I said, convincing. And I barely would even chalk that up as a win just because of how, poor it was giving up so many goals late in the game to allow Martinique to kind of climb back so yeah I mean the Tico's got to pour one out for them I don't really understand what's going on um it, it's time to maybe get some youth in there um to get some of these uh gray hairs out of the out of the mix obviously like Taylor Navas is such a big name and it's really hard um, to replace him in goal and it's just it's it's not going to be done overnight they need to figure out their solution there because you know he's not getting any younger so um their their guy who was in goal forgive me I don't know his name off the top of my head um but it's just not really working out right now so maybe trying some goalkeepers and a couple friendlies leading up to world cup qualifying or whatever it may be um will be the trick for them but Pico's got to find a solution it's an interesting and uncertain time for, I think, the the middle tier, the second tier of CONCACAF teams, Rachel, because obviously, re- regardless of the state of chaos that Mexico has been in, we know that they're still one of the powers. Just on talent alone, they are at worst the third federation in CONCACAF right now. And then you look at, obviously, Canada, who's had, you know, so far, I'd say two disappointing losses to the United States and big qualification. You know, they're still on the assuming they don't have assuming the federation doesn't have to go bankrupt and then like the canadian women's national team has to buy their own tickets back home from the women's world cup in you know in a month's time that you know we know at least the sport is on the rise and everything and you look at it and i think honduras peaked last cycle i think costa rica has been riding the coattails of a generation that came of age in 2014 and rightfully so the united states did the exact same thing through two world cup cycles after what they did in 2010 and so I think the I think this is the time to shuffle the deck to your point. There's a lot of young kids on for the Ticos that haven't really gotten an opportunity. And if I look at Honduras as well, where I think clearly their ceiling for both the past and the future is lower than what Costa Rica could achieve. Honduras finished third in CONCACAF Olympic qualifying and everything. At the U23, they're not bad in terms of the talent they have and everything. What are those players doing in terms of their club situations? What does that mean for the national team? All good questions as well. But there's still time for you to fix it. And in whatever truncated, you know, weird Frankenstein 
form that CONCACAF World Cup qualification is going to take this upcoming cycle because you don't have the U.S., Mexico, or Canada playing in it as well. It's pretty easy. Just put the players, call up your best squad that you have of young kids that are going to have something to do that are going to have an impact on 2026 and just put them in a position to be successful. And you'll probably be able to get through. I could say that about Costa Rica, Honduras, Panama, and Jamaica as well. And so uh, it, it, it's not without opportunity, but yeah, it's an uncertain time and it's a scary time because um, they knew this was coming. And I think now, unfortunately, you, va- you very clearly have to face the reality of it as Costa Rica has shown in their last two competitions and certainly Honduras with how they finished with their aging players that they have one of whom is brian acosta who plays for the colorado rapids but i digress um before we move on to look ahead to the semifinals rachel um i want to give a shout out to one of our sponsors athletic greens they are a signature uh they are a sponsor of last word on soccer and they have a signature ag1 formula which is perfect for daily nutrition and gut health support ag1 solves two of the most important health needs one nutrition that your body needs for every single day and number two a foundation for long-term gut health. Together, this helps heal your whole body and it impacts everything from your sleep, digestion, energy, mood, immunity, to the health of your hair, skin, and nails. Uh, Follow the link in the show description notes below to get started with AG1 today. Thank you to Athletic Greens for sponsoring this podcast. So Rachel, let's look ahead to the semifinals. Um, I guess let's turn this into a a Mexican sandwich by uh, covering the U.S. last. So we've got Mexico versus Jamaica. Rachel, I feel like Jamaica is just constantly the Phoenix Suns of the CONCACAF Gold Cup in that they usually have a decent team. They're able of competing. On their best day, they have beaten a Mexico, a United States, a Canada, a Costa Rica when they were the when they were the Ticos of old and everything. And given how seriously they were taking this competition, and given that Canada and the US clearly called up B teams, and given that, you know, L Tree is literally on fire right now, this seems like an opportunity. But once again, you have to beat a team that normally you don't have a good track record against playing in the United States or playing in Mexico, and it's going to be difficult. And I have to wonder with this, not aging core, but Jamaica's done a really good job of dual nationals that they've had on the team that are from Europe or European based and everything. And I just, I have to wonder, like, this group has to do it at some point. Otherwise, I'm convinced they're not going to do it. Rachel, what do you see in this matchup other than 90 minutes of poop housing chaos? um darn i can't mention that (laughs) it seems so obvious doesn't it um yeah i mean like you said matt i I think just that there's been so much like who's taking the gold cup seriously and i think it's it's showing um jamaica i think they're such a good team right they have such good um attacking players they've always had a really good defense but i really enjoy um watching these these younger attackers these um there's a lot of Premier League players on their team um, and even, you know, second tier championship players um, that are just really working out well um, for for Jamaica. And I love, you know, it's so hard. You know, the goalkeepers in this tournament are so likable. Who doesn't love Andre Blake, right? I mean, maybe Red Bulls fans and uh, maybe DC United fans just because of regional rivalries. But yeah, I mean, Jamaica's so much fun to watch. I've really enjoyed um, seeing them in this tournament. And yeah, I mean, they, they did well in the group stage. I think they got, um, you know, th- that result against the United States to me, it's a lot more favorable to Jamaica than it is to the U S. Um, and then yeah, four to one, five mil, um, in their other games. Um, they're scoring, they're having fun. And the biggest thing is too, you know, it's not going to help anybody in the golden boot race, 
but there's so many people scoring. Um, so it's not just one player that you have to like put the load on and say, you know, eh, run with it. Um, there's a whole plethora of talent on this team. They're young, they're fun, they're exciting to watch. Um, and like, honestly, just as like a, a fan of this tournament is as a fan of this region. Like it is fun to see like other teams do well and not just the same old, same old, same old. Um, and and I've enjoyed watching the success of Jamaica. I've enjoyed watching their games. Um, I think they have a really talented group. Um, I, I like their manager. I think he's creative and yeah, I mean it, like you said, Mexico's kind of a dumpster fire right now. They called it the B team. I, I think you could very well see uh, a U.S sorry, U.S.-Jamaica or a Panama-Jamaica final in this Gold Cup. I think both are, you know, very real possibilities. And, yeah, I mean, even if the U.S. makes that final and and Jamaica does too, I mean, it's going to be hard to root against Jamaica. They're just such a fun team. And, you know, it's it's always fun to root for the underdogs. So Jamaica has, you know, definitely got a fan in my book. Also, they called up a river hound, so I have to like them. I remember, Rachel, it was one of the I don't remember which one this was, but it was the U.S. versus Jamaica in the Gold Cup final and the U.S. ended up winning it. They were the better team. And I just remember seeing like Darren Maddox just absolutely crestfallen after the game. And to your point, Rachel, like like, like, you know, Jamaica, they play fun soccer. They've got interesting characters and everything. They've got the spice and flavor of, you know, natives and um, and and immigrants and people who are ethnically Jamaican as well. That I think is one of the things that makes this com this competition so beautiful when you look beyond the normal favorites that you have. It's really hard for me to look past what is going to be such a heavy Mexico pro crowd. And when I know, uh, when I just, I, I know in my heart, in deep down in that hole where my soul is supposed to be as a ginger, that Jamaica's not going to get anything from the official. And I could see this being just a, a back and forth game, Jamaica giving it to them, not able to finish. And then there's one slightly questionable opportunity and it goes into the referee's hand and that coin flip goes Mexico's way. And so I could absolutely, I could absolutely see that happening. And so that that's the one thing I, I want to believe that a team other than the U.S. or Mexico or, you know, even I, I wouldn't include Canada yet on this. I'll believe that Canada wins when I'll believe that Canada can win a gold cup when they actually do win a gold cup. I think it's possible. I don't think that it's likely. I wouldn't predict it, <laughs> but I will not be able to believe. I can't rationally believe that another team outside of those three will win the gold cup until I actually see it. I want to believe that this Jamaica team is capable of doing it. I know everything is going to be stacked up against them because CONCACAF likes money. They love money and they like soccer and they like CONCACAF to the extent that it gives them money. And they know that a USA-Mexico final will get them a lot of money in ways that Jamaica or Panama playing one of the other teams will not. And so that is my concern about this game. But um, I'm rooting. I want a Bobby Decadover read banger to just win it 1-0 so bad. Um, That would be super exciting for me. Uh, Rachel, let's move forward to Panama. You mentioned them kind of not cruising through. They won their group, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. So seven points, so two wins and a draw. And then, as we mentioned earlier, cruised over Qatar. But similar to, you know, Sunday, Rachel just has me. I, I'm second-guessing everything in this. So up is down. I have no idea what's going on in CONCACAF. It's chaos, and that's why I love it, but also why I don't understand it. And so did the U.S. just have a really bad game against against Canada? Did Canada give their A game to a U.S. team that came up with their C-minus game? And was Qatar secretly bad or is Panama secretly good? Um, we know that they're going to come out in a low block. And we know that they're going to try to do stuff in transition. And we know that they're going to hack the heck out of the U.S. if that 
if the referee allows them to do that. And that presents a problem there. Rachel, what are you looking for from a response from the U.S. given the Sunday scaries they got against Costa Rica, against Canada? Um, well, I think it's going to be tough first and foremost because they're playing on tired legs, um, 120 minute plus penalty legs when Panama, um, is not. And they just pretty much had to park the bus after really like after the 60th minute to, to win and then move on. So I guess my response or what I'd like to see from the U.S. response would be goals. Um, I think that's, you know, pretty cut and dry for the most part, but, um, I mean, it's true, right? They they scored a lot against, um, and, and no disrespect here, but, you know, regionally weaker teams, I, I think is a, a good way to state it. Um, and, and when they were really given their first test against Panama, like, or, I'm sorry, Canada, geez, Matt, so many CONCACAF teams, um, they, they just, you know, they scored with Vasquez. Again, I think they should start him. And then there was an own goal against Kennedy. So I don't know. I mean, just more goals. I, I think Jesus Ferreira needs, um, needs a big goal in a game where it's not like stat padding, right? Like, cause it's, e- it's a little bit easier to score three goals against, uh, St. Kitts and Nevas than against, um, Panama. And I'm not saying he has to go into Panama and score three goals, but it would still be nice to see him um, score against a tougher CONCACAF opponent. And that would give the U.S. a lot of confidence going into something like World Cup qualifying, where they know they're pro- they're going to be facing a Panama. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think, Jim- Jeez, oh man, I think Panama has a legitimate chance here to upset. Um, obviously, they're coming off of a, of a really nice 4-0 win. Um, they're rested a little bit more, um, and, and I think they just have more confidence than the U.S. right now. Um, and honestly, like, there's really no pressure on Panama. Like, yeah, they definitely have um, a better stacked, like, you know, th- their A team in comparison to the B.C. team the U.S. has. But, I mean, it's on the U.S. home turf, right? There's definitely going to be more pressure on the U.S. from, you know, the fans, from like you said, from CONCACAF, just from outsiders. But I think, you know, what does Panama have to lose? Just throw the kitchen sink at them from the get-go, and there's a real chance of a possible upset. I think the concern for me from a USMNT standpoint, Rachel, is not only the confidence standpoint, but to your point, Panama was coming off on better rest because they played the day before, and then also the U.S. went to 120 minutes. And, I mean, Panama had to be – they were in cruise control – in those final 20 minutes against the guitar team that had probably given up. And so you compare that to an emotionally exhausting and physically exhausting longer game that occurred the day before as well. I'm kind of wondering, does BJ Callahan think, you know, let me, you know, jumble up the lineup from a leg standpoint, not necessarily just from a form standpoint. I, I can't see how you start Sendejas up there. He's not done it from corners. He hasn't done it in possession. He hasn't done it in pressing. I would start Brandon Vasquez straight up with you Rachel and then after that I think the only other the only other players as well there that I'm convinced you should start in this situation would probably be I think Busio's been the best midfielder in the midfield three so I would start him obviously you're starting Matt Turner his legs are fine he's fantastic and then I I think you give I don't know do you do you ask Duan Jones to see if he can play even more minutes as well but I don't have confidence in any of these center backs at this point and the only one I'm giving any real forgiveness to in that regard is Jalen Neal because he's the young new kid. Matt Miazga should know better. Aaron Long should know better. Miles Robinson should not be putting himself where twice in a game 
he potentially has a handball in a box that's going to be called for a penalty, that kind of a thing. So I don't have a lot of confidence elsewhere across the entire roster as well. I was really excited to see Julian Gressel get a start the other day, and he wasn't great. So do you put more minutes on Brian Reynolds? I have no idea what's happening with this lineup as well. And in that regard, it's really hard for me to predict this. That being said, the U.S., regardless of whether it's an A, B, or C team, even with these young kids, are at their best when they're being doubted and when their backs are against the wall. And so I could see them doing something. I'd almost think, do you give Jackson Ewell a start, Rachel, given that he's been in more of these situations than James Sands from a national team standpoint? But I mean, yeah, I could see... I I don't th- I think if Panama's winning I think it's a close game and I think it's another one where the U.S. is just completely unraveled. So I'm th- you're looking at like one nil. I could see four nil to the U.S. and I could see anything in between really. Um, maybe the one thing that I'd look at Rachel is that maybe you look to be a little bit more conservative. So try and be a little bit more direct through a Cade Cowell, through a Busio, through a Brandon Vasquez. Balls into the box, balls out wide, and then into the box. And then you turn it into a little bit more of a basketball game and then trust that Matt Turner and all the stuff going on at your back can deal with that chaos a little bit better because that's what they've been dealing with with St. Kitts and Nevis, Trinidad and Tobago, and then now Canada in ways that Panama hasn't necessarily dealt with that. Just a thought. And I, I look at that line. I look at that approach from a game plan standpoint. And it looks like chaos and something that would take years off of my life. But also, I feel more confident in the U.S. being able to thrive in that chaos than I do them just saying, we're going to possess the ball, Panama coming out in a 4-4-2, absolutely hacking you. And the longer it goes without the U.S. taking a lead, you just have, oh, crap, here we go again, like you did against Canada. But just my two cents. Anything else that we, I, I guess, Rachel, Um, I'm not sure, listeners, with the schedule and other stuff that I got going on, whether or not we're podcasting before the final, that's a possibility. So, um, Rachel, let's head on to the roundtable. Um, give me um, uh, give me your predictions all the way through through the rest of the Gold Cup. Well, Matt, you know me. I love myself a good upset, don't I? I'm going to say it... My heart wants me to pick Panama, Jamaica, but I need to be a little bit of a realist, too. I'm going to say, pending the United States, starting Brandon Vasquez, that the final is going to be USA, Jamaica. And I think that the U.S., they don't get a big win over Panama. Maybe it's 1-0. Maybe it's 2-0. I'm leaning towards 1. Um, and then I think, honestly, Jamaica... Um, I think Jamaica 3-0 against Mexico. I know it's a bold bet, but um, I'm going to say it for the chaos. Mexico will win a nail-biter benefited by the officials in the one semifinal. USA will have a very unconvincing close victory against Panama. It might go to extra time. It might even need to go to penalties. And Mexico will win an absolute chaos fight club situation against the United States in the final on Sunday, and it will be stupid. Uh, Jamaica will take home third place for what that's worth as well. Uh, so those are my predictions. Um, anything else on the Gold Cup that we want to talk about, Rachel? Or um, do we want to move on? Um, I guess there's been some news. on the. I know you and um, Jamie had a fantastic Women's World Cup podcast the other week. Uh, we do have a little bit of news on the U.S. side, Rachel. Uh, we know that there will be co-captains at the Women's World Cup, Lindsay Horan and... 
Alex Morgan. And we know that this will be the final international competition for Megan Rapinoe, who will also be hanging it up at the end of the Sunday WCL season. Not super surprising for me, but this woman absolutely deserves her flowers and she will get them between now and November. Certainly, Rachel, your thoughts on that? And is there anything else that's happened in Women's World Cup news that you think is worth highlighting? Um, well, yeah, I mean, Rapino, yes, yeah, she is definitely going to get her flowers. Should she have retired maybe like two years ago? Um, I think that's fair to say yes. Um, but you know, I understand wanting to get your, your last World Cup. And listen, her leadership is certainly invaluable. Um, and with Becky Sauerbrunn, um, injured on the national team, um, I, I think her leadership is needed now more than ever. I'm not surprised that Alex Morgan and Lindsay Horan were named co-captains. I saw a lot of shouts, mine included. For Crystal Dunn, I understand it, but also I do understand the two selections. Alex Morgan's form has just been so, so good right now. And I think that, you know, if we're talking about passing the torch right, I think it makes sense to have um, the two of them. Um, I think Haran's in like her late 20s and and Morgan's in her early 30s. Um, And so just from an age standpoint with like thinking of the longevity of the U.S. women's national team and you know, players like Becky Sauerbrunn, who would have been in a World Cup again if she was not injured. But, you know, being 38 years old, there's a longevity of having players on the team, right? Um, so I think it makes sense um, for the captain's armband to be given to those two. I think it's very, very well-deserved. Um, yeah, and so I think the U.S. has some good leaders. But, of course, as with every, any team goes, um, you know, there's there's leaders who aren't wearing the armband as well. So, um you know, just because Crystal Dunn and, you know, a player like Rapino again is not wearing the armband doesn't mean they don't have um, experience. If they're on the pitch together at the same time, Haran is wearing the armband. I would have given it to Alex Morgan just based on the veteran experience. But again, I- I'm not too angry about, you know, an armband. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I mean, just, you know, news wise, the, the, the situation with the Nigerian Federation um, has not been getting any better. I wrote a story for Equalizer on, on Lauren Gregg telling me, you know, her side of the story and giving her peace. And, um, everything is just super up in the air right now. Um, our listeners may not know, but they're not, their head coach is, um, also the Pitt women's soccer coach, um, here at the University of Pittsburgh. So he and I go uh, a little bit of a ways back, Randy Waldrum. So yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of up in the air about, Will Waldrum even be coaching in the first game against Canada? Will they even play the first game against Canada? The players have, you know, talked about striking. Um, but yeah, I appreciate Randy and Lauren speaking up and, you know, defending their players and, and, you know, putting this out there because, yeah, it stinks that like the conversation around the World Cup right now is, is with a lot of these teams fighting their federation, Nigeria, Spain, South, um, South Africa, Colombia, just to name a few. There's, I think there's like nine or 10 that are, um, out of 32. But at the same time, what a time to spotlight it, right? When, when the whole world's attention is being put on Australia and New Zealand in this, in this tournament that's kicking off, um, in, in just nine days, um, when listeners are listening, probably eight days, um, so yeah, I, I, there's a lot going on with the World Cup. I still think it's going to be great soccer. Um, I said it on the pod with Jamie. I'm still riding with my pick of Espana, um, winning the, the entire thing and shoving it down their federation's face. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be a great tournament. And I still think, you know, these, these off the field stories are, are just as important as the competition on the field. 
my opinion has not changed, Rachel. I think it will be England that ultimately ends up winning the World Cup, and they will do so in a deserved way. When the U.S. does lose, it's going to be giant slaying going on. Um, breaking news that we have here, Rachel, I was just checking Instagram to make sure there wasn't anything that I missed in everything. Um, Tim Ream is saying that uh, his podcast is actually joining the Men in Blazers network, um, and it's going to be renamed the American Dream. So that's excited to see um mib network expanding and listener if you don't know listeners if you're somehow new to last word soccer club radio rachel and i are all here for tim ream at a fulham and a national team level absolutely man bun corny dad jokes wholesome twitter and potentially threads content and all um so i think that does it for the national team coverage that we want to talk about rachel so let's get into maybe the one last tidbit of news that normally i'd say for last word but there's any person on if there's any combination of two people we have here at last word on soccer who'd be perfect for talking about this it would be you and me and that is of course the announcement today of for denver fc which is a ownership group which is pursuing professional women's soccer in denver colorado they are open to both the nwsl and the second division usl w league but are first primarily going to be going after the nwsl Super, super exciting, Rachel. This is something we've wanted forever. Um, I spoke to Jordan Angeli and Ben Hubbard, who are part of the ownership group earlier today. They said they want to play by 2026. They want to have their own stadium. They're looking at having being a downtown stadium and everything. Um, this checks so many boxes like Woso Twitter willed this into existence. Denver soccer willed this into existence. Denver greater sports willed this into existence. And I think this could be something that is so massive, and I'm just very, very excited. Um, yeah, it's it's so exciting. When I went to the 2019 NWSL final, I was doing some social work with Equalizer, and one of the things that I went around asking um, players from North Carolina and Chicago was, where is a place that you'd like to see NWSL expansion? And I'm not kidding, Matt, more than half these players, and I probably talked to 30, um, said Denver. Um, there is just so much hype around the Denver area. I personally know um, a lot of people from the Pittsburgh area who have gone to, to move and live over there and work um and yeah i think it's just i haven't been yet um i remember my brother had been and he had told me all great things about it um yeah i just think it's a perfect area i think when you think of like dream expansion cities but also realistic expansion cities like denver and st louis are like at the top of the list here um and the players very clearly want it. Now, when it happens, it's going to be hard to kind of filter, you know, through the players and, and, you know, decide like how many actually get to go. It's, it's the same problem Angel City and San Diego had, um, kind of filtering through because everybody wanted to go to Los Angeles, um, and California in general. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really bright spot for, for the league to put a team. There was always, you know, the, the map of like leagues in the United States, especially in women's soccer. And it's all on the, the left and it's all on the right, aka the east and the west. Um, and there's really not much in the middle. So I think there's a lot of great potential for a, um, uh, uh Kansas City and, and Denver rivalry. Um, if it does happen, I think, um, you know, obviously the players are definitely backing it and I would be really excited about that. Um, uh, it's clearly something that I, I think would do well. And I don't think people should let like attendance like the Rapids right now this season, like deter that. Um, I think there, there's a really big market in Denver for women's soccer and I'm excited to see how this goes and I hope it comes to fruition. 
And their branding looked great. I loved, loved their branding. Mm -hmm. And if you look at it from a talent standpoint, Rachel, I think we're up to 19 or 20, either from Colorado or went to college in Colorado players as well. And then even if you remove one of the three-headed monster that you would have there between Lindsey Horan, Sophia Smith, or the currently injured Mallory Swanson, I feel like, you know, that team of 18, I feel like stack that up against you know, any other state from a soccer talent standpoint outside of maybe California and Texas. And then they're going to be absolutely, they'd be fantastic in GNWSL. I'm just really excited to see what happens. I think the the impression that I got, Rachel, from my conversation earlier today, which you can find on Hold It the Highline, listeners, I'll link it in the show notes if you want, is, you know, they're still very much in the early stage. They're still finding out what all the parameters are critical in terms of what the USLW League would want, certainly in terms of what the NWSL would want. Obviously, you know, the two things are going to be the stadium situation and then the training ground. They're going to have to have the training state situation figured out. And even if they launch, they're hoping to get started in, um, they're hoping to be kicking a ball in spring of 2026. And even if they don't have the stadium figured out, they need to have a plan at that point. So I kind of hypothesize there's a few options there, Rachel. I think they'd, I think KSC would have to be involved. I think the Rapids would have to be involved if they wanted to go out to Dick's Sporting Goods Park. I wouldn't be opposed to that from a start. I don't know that that's the best option venue-wise unless KSC becomes a significant, like at least like by minority owner, I'm talking like at least 30% in terms of them being bought in from that standpoint if they don't want to be a part of the KSC Stan Kroenke um, you know, entourage portfolio and everything, then I think they're going to have to decouple from that. And that requires their own venue. I think something that's a little bit more closer, closer, um, that's maybe, you know, eight to 10,000 in terms of capacity. I look at what K, you know, Casey Current is doing. I look at what, um, what the, what San Diego Wave has done as well. I don't think that, correct me if I'm wrong, Rachel, there's no plan whatsoever for Bay Area to play, um, down in San Jose at, um, uh, it's not PayPal Park. I can't remember what it is now, but okay. Rachel's doing like the hand wavy thing. So TBD as well there. But, you know, this is a, they're going to look at that. And if you're looking at a 10,000 seat stadium with public transit connections and maybe not as much parking in more of a walkable area as well, you can get away with that in ways that the footprint for an, an 18 to a 20,000 seat stadium or, you know, like Providence Park, for example, or Exploria for Orlando Lions you would not be able to get away with. So we'll see what happens. There's a lot of big questions that have to happen, but they've had so many conversations with people that are getting interested in it. I think this is going to be from an ownership standpoint and their portfolio and the people involved and people emotionally invested. I think this is closer to being an LAFC Angel City situation than it is, say, a Casey Curran or a Gotham, for example. And so I'm really excited to see what happens. There's a lot that needs to get figured out. But just the simple fact that like someone finally saw this massive void and wanted to make it happen. I can't see any scenario where this doesn't happen, Rachel, even if they get put back, punted back a year and everything. I can't see a scenario where in 2028, there is not a professional women's team here in Denver playing in one of the top two divisions in their own soccer specific stadium that is awesome and has an awesome following. They have that there is a real possibility here, listeners, regardless of what switchbacks have done with their own stadium regardless of what the rapids did in 2021 um regardless of what hailstorm are doing up there with their new fancy facility in windsor colorado this like they have a legitimate opportunity to blow every single professional men's team out of the water in this situation i don't think it's improbable to think that if this team plays in their first year of expansion 
in Dick's Sporting Goods Park oscillating away weekends with the Rapids that this NWSL team would sell out the would would sell more tickets at DSG than the Rapids would. I don't think that that is out of the realm of possibility, and I'm super excited to see it. And Rachel, I now have to be a Woso person. I don't I don't have an excuse anymore because you know I you know I've, I've got a team here that's local as well. I can't just be like oh well follow the national team players when it's relevant, but only dabble in the NWSL. You know it's the it's the side dish. It is the occasionally order. It's the occasional thing that I add to the meal that is my that is my palate, my charcuterie board of consuming all of the soccer that i'm consuming certainly um and at least the, the valid excuse at least i had in the past rachel was being a angelino originally and angel city being coupled together with lafc is that they were affiliated with that but now i i've, I've got a team locally and i've got a team in a place that i live in and love and would be fantastic and so now i'm gonna have to cover it i might have to start writing the occasional article for the equalizer rachel um but let's let's not get ahead of ourselves. I'm doing enough with Burgundy Wave and last word on soccer. But in any case, um, Rachel, let's get out of here. Any last words or shall we shall we close her up? Um, I say we close her up. If I could read our ad from our wonderful Icarus FC. Ladies and gentlemen, are you tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas? You're looking for a unique, completely custom kit for your youth club, Sunday league squad, adult or even pro team? Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams and an affordable price. With the motto, any design you want, seriously, let them help you design your new custom kit today at IcarusFC.com. Listeners, no last words for me. Just if you haven't yet, check out the podcast that Jamie Rook and I did. It's a goodie. Um, Listeners, I want to thank our other sponsor, our third sponsor, uh, Roughneck Scarves, R-U-F-F-N-E-C-K who are an official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, NWSL, and U.S. soccer merchandise. You can also get custom scarves from them for your group, team, office, Sunday League squad, etc. Bake sale, maybe, uh, at roughneckscarves.com. They've got a lot of great stuff. Obviously, we're in the middle of the MLS season. They've got a bunch of NWSL merch. At some point, Rachel, I have to believe they're going to have something Denver-related, maybe some black with some green, and then whatever that reddish-pink color is. At some point, we're going to have to have a debate, Rachel, whether it's pink or whether it's red. We'll wait. We need to have a crest. There needs to be a jersey. There need to be scarves and everything, but they'll have that there. And then obviously all their U.S. soccer stuff, if there's something that you're missing that you need to add to the paraphernalia for going out on game day for the U.S. women's national team in the next couple weeks as well, Roughneck Scarves can hook you up there. Listeners, follow us on all the social media platforms at LastWordSC. Check us out at LastWordOnSports.com backslash soccer and then search wherever you get your podcast. Just search LWS Radio. You'll find us and a bunch of other great content. Uh, listeners, we'll see you next time. Hopefully, if not, at the very least, we'll be after the Gold Cup final to debrief the Gold Cup, and we'll certainly podcast before the start of the Women's World Cup on the 20th.